Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do come to you today um, as your children, longing to be home with you. We gather here today as sheep who need to be fed. We're confident, Lord, that you will lead us in the way that we should go. You will feed us. You will restore our souls through the truth of your word. So we come hungry, we come needy, we come expectantly, God, believing that your word will accomplish everything you intend it to, that it will not return void. Instead, you will use it to nourish our faith, to strengthen us, to give us uh, an understanding of who you are, that we might know you and delight in you all of our days. So Lord, I pray that you would attend now to the preaching of your word that you would provide power through your spirit to both speak and hear as we ought. We pray all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 this morning. Jesus is a master at telling stories. And he doesn't use these stories the way that sometimes we do. He doesn't use stories just to pass the time. He doesn't use stories merely to entertain. Uh, He doesn't use stories to try to impress other people. No, Jesus uses stories. He speaks in parables, these illustrations from daily life, in order to illustrate spiritual truths. He tells these stories in order to teach us. And these parables, as we saw last week, they reveal the truth to some, but they conceal the truth from others. In Luke chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus says to his disciples in private, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Last week we saw in the parable of the soils that the word of God is like seed, and it falls on different types of soil. And over and over again... As Jesus explained the meaning of that story, as he explained what that story was illustrating, he emphasized the importance of hearing. He emphasized hearing. Five different times in verses 10 through 15, we see this verb of hear. We see that hearing they may not understand in verse 10. The ones along the path in verse 12 are those who have heard the word, the ones uh, along, uh, the ones on the rock in verse 13 are those who hear the word. The ones among the thorns in verse 14 are those who hear. And that that is in the good soil in verse 15 are those who are hearing the word. It matters that you hear the word. And in our text today, Jesus is going to switch up the metaphor. He's going to change the illustration. He goes from farming in a field to a lamp in a house. But Jesus isn't done yet pressing home the importance of hearing. So even though the illustration has changed, the emphasis remains the same. Take care how you hear. Our text this morning is going to begin in verse 16 and carry us through verse 18. Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you 
here. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. There's a crucial point that Jesus is driving home as he speaks here with his disciples. And it's a point that we need to hear this morning as we look at this passage today. It matters how you hear. It matters. How you hear the word of God is a matter of utmost importance. And if we're going to hear rightly, if we're going to hear how Jesus wants us to hear, then there's two truths we need to understand from this text this morning. Two truths that Jesus presents in the form of a metaphor and a mandate. Or you could say an illustration and then an exhortation. He's going to give us this little proverbial parabolic statement. And then he's going to give us a command. And as we study both of these, it becomes clear that it does indeed matter how we hear. The first, this this, um, metaphor, this illustration, we find in verses 16 and 17. What we discover is that hearing rightly requires that we understand the nature of God's revelation. That's number one if you're taking notes. It matters that we understand the nature of God's revelation. He says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The lamps that Jews used in the first century was different than ours. They didn't have electricity. They couldn't, you know, twist a little knob or step on the button or clap or however you turn your, your lamps on in your house, right? It was a small clay vessel that contained oil. And that oil would have a, a small wick that lay that came out sort of the end, and they could light that. It's a reusable candle. Whenever it runs low, you refill it, and it keeps burning. And these lamps were portable. You could carry them throughout the house, take them to whatever room you needed to be in. And Jesus, in in sharing this very simple day-to-day illustration, is appealing to our common sense. He says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under the bed. Nobody does that. That makes no sense. That is pointless. He said, no, that's not what you do. He says, if you light a lamp, you put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. You put it up high. You put it in the middle of the room so that the, the, the little bit of light that that candle puts off can scatter to every corner and reveal as much as possible. That way, people who enter into the room, a room that was previously dark, they're now able to see. And they're able to see the things that have been there all along. You know, that basket you could have tripped over was there all along. But now that the light is lifted up, you can see it. Those Legos that you stepped on in the middle of the night have been there all along. But if you turn on the lights, you can see them. That's the point. The darkness conceals, but the light reveals. It's a common sense point that everyone would have agreed with. But Jesus then pivots and gives the meaning of the metaphor in verse 17. And this is where it becomes more difficult to understand. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Why does Jesus say this? What is it that he's referring to? Well, I want want to remind you what Jesus has said previously about the secrets of the kingdom. Look up at chapter 8, verse 1, just at the few verses before this. Jesus is traveling throughout the cities and villages, and what's he doing? He's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. Look down in verse 10. 
He says to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries, these things previously not understood, these things previously not seen. He says, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So the things that are hidden that Jesus refers to in verse 17, as we look in context, I believe that he's referring to this message of the gospel. He's referring to the truth, the the logos, this word that he is preaching, what he previously described as seed that he scatters on the ground. These things were previously concealed. The truth of, of God's purpose and his promise and exactly how that would all come about had previously been in the dark. It was always true. It was always there, but not yet perceived. Now the disciples, as they listen to the teaching of Jesus, as they listen to him explain his parables, they're being given knowledge. Verse 10, to you it is given to understand the secrets of the kingdom. Jesus is turning on the lights. He's turning on the lights for them, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and giving them insight so that they can see, so that they can understand the mysteries of the kingdom. So this, I, this metaphor of light, I believe, refers to this act of giving insight into the truth. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So as he describes this lamp that's being lit and it's revealing things, he's directing them to, to consider what he's doing in his teaching ministry in proclaiming the truth to them. Just like the seed represented the word of God in the parable of the soils, the message of Jesus is here represented by light. It's the word. It's the gospel. Jesus comes speaking for God, revealing the truth of God because he is God. He is the son of God. He comes to give light, to reveal. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So this imagery would have been somewhat familiar for the disciples who would have known this Old Testament text. David writes in Psalm 36, verse 9, With you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Light comes from God. This is the nature of revelation. God is revealing. He is disclosing. He is illuminating what's always been there, what has always been true, which is who God is and what God's eternal purposes are in sending his son to bring about salvation for all who believe. This was previously not fully understood, but Jesus is making it known. And the disciples must understand that Jesus has come to reveal the truth, to give light. So we ask the question then, well, yeah, J.D., if you look back up at verse 10, it says, yeah, that Jesus is giving them knowledge. He's turning on the lights but it also says that for others who hear the parables, they don't see, they don't hear, and they don't understand. Why is that? Why do the parables conceal the truth from some while they reveal the truth to others? Well, Jesus points out here that this hiddenness, this veiling of the truth is actually temporary. Look back in verse 17. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. There is a time coming when all of the truth will be made clear, 
when this veiled language, this, these parables and riddles will give way to crystal clear proclamation. Jesus must be held up and made known that he is the son of God, that he is the savior of the world, and that will become clear at the right time. At this point in his ministry, the fullness of his identity, the fullness of his mission, what he came to do, it could not be understood properly yet. It wasn't the right time. Some people were beginning to catch a glimpse that he was the Messiah, and he's even claiming to be the Son of God, but they couldn't put it all together. And if they had, it wouldn't have been the right time. The crowds would have been excited about a Messiah, but they would have wanted a Messiah who could drive out the Romans. They were not excited about a Messiah who would die on the cross who would be humiliated, who would be put to death. So if they would have understood everything about Jesus at this point, they might have gotten the wrong idea about him. That's why when the demons cry out, we know who you are, you're the Holy One of God, he tells them to be silent. It's not time yet for that to be made so clear. That's why sometimes when Jesus heals people, he tells them, keep it quiet and don't tell anyone what just happened. It's not time yet for everyone to see the full picture. At this point in Jesus' ministry, the truth is being taught in parables. And some things are being revealed, especially to the disciples, but other things are being still hidden. But Jesus says, listen, the veiling of my true glory is temporary. Soon he will commission his followers, following his death, following his resurrection, he will commission them to shout the truth from the rooftops. It won't be time for anything to be hidden any longer. They will be called to lift up the lamp for all to see. So his command that he sometimes gives of tell no one will change to, hey, I want you to tell everyone. I want you to go to all the nations and make disciples and preach the gospel. Today we stand at a point in redemptive history where the light is to be made known and lifted up for all to see. And things that were previously hidden are now being made clear. Even now, there is a sort of veil that lies over the whole world. 2 Corinthians 3.15 tells us that. That even today, as the full truth of Jesus is being proclaimed, there's still people who don't see it. There's still people in the darkness. Jesus is not yet fully seen and fully known as he is. There are many who do not believe. There are many who have been blinded by unbelief. And even we who do believe, even we who do see, 1 Corinthians 13 says we see now in a glass dimly. But at the second coming of Jesus, everyone will see and everyone will know. Revelation 1.7 says he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. When Jesus returns, he will not come as a humble carpenter. He will come as a triumphant king. He will not be carrying a cross. He will be wearing a crown. And everyone will see his glory. Everyone. And every knee will bow. Paul says in Philippians 2, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So sort of like a present that is wrapped up, but is fully intended to be opened one day, the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus says, are veiled now, but one day they will be fully revealed. God's purpose is one of revelation, of revealing, of, of making known, of turning on the light. And history is moving towards 
this end. History is moving towards the full disclosure of Christ's person and power and purpose. That's where we're headed. And while this message is not fully out in the open yet, as Jesus is at this point in his ministry still teaching in parables, he's giving the disciples a little peek. He is lighting a lamp and he is shining the truth so that they can see. Listen, hearing rightly requires that we understand the nature of God's revelation, that God's revelation to us in his word, through his son, Jesus Christ, it is light. It is light. And it is increasing. It is progressing. There's an unfolding progression of revelation in scripture. When you're reading through the Old Testament, you're still putting things together. As you read further on, you see more of the pieces come. And then you see Jesus come in the New Testament, there's even more light. And then as the apostles teach and explain and apply, you see the church growing, we have even more light that is given. There's a progression of revelation throughout Scripture. And there's also a progression in history. As Jesus dies and rises again, as the church expands and grows, and then someday when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead and establish his kingdom Everything is going to be made increasingly clear. Nothing is hidden, Jesus says, that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Hearing rightly requires that we understand that this is the nature of God's revelation. It is light that illumines and reveals, and it is progressive in its nature. But there's a second truth we need to understand. Number two, hearing rightly requires that we understand the necessity of personal response. And this is where we'll spend more of our time this morning. Hearing rightly requires we understand the necessity of personal response. So Jesus has given them this metaphor of a lamp and light, but now he gives the mandate. Here's the command. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. I have this little word, how, circled in my Bible, because it's doing some heavy lifting in this verse. Take care how you hear. Of course, we know it's essential that you hear, right? It's essential that you hear. Romans 10 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Of course, it's important that you hear. Those who are not exposed to the truth, those who never hear about Jesus, they're without the good news. And they must hear about Jesus. So it is essential that you hear. And it's also essential what you hear, right? I mean, earlier in chapter 6, Jesus warned about the blind leading the blind. They're both going to fall into a pit. We need to be careful what we listen to. Be careful what you allow into your mind and into your heart. If the word of God is good seed, there's also a lot of bad seed out there. If Jesus is the light of the world, there's also many today who are peddling and selling darkness, not light. There is such a thing as worldly philosophies and false teaching, that, that these subtle lies that undermine the truth rather than reveal it. So it is important what we hear. But in this text, Jesus says, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. Why? Why is it so important how you hear? Kids in the room who are in grade school, why does it matter how you hear? 
College students, why does it matter how you hear? Husbands, wives, you who are middle-aged, you who are a little more than middle-aged, who are mostly aged, why does it matter how you hear? Because you've heard it before. You've been to church a million times. You've read the Gospel of Luke. Some of you have even taught these passages. Why does it matter for all of us in the room how we hear? Well, here's why. Whether young or old, your very eternal life is at stake. That's why it matters how you hear. Listen, the only way to enter the kingdom of God is through faith in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for sins, that he shed his blood to pay for, to atone for your sins, sins that deserve the righteous judgment of God. We have to believe that Christ's mission of dying for sinners, that this message is the only way to be saved, that you can't be good enough. You can't just sort of quit some of your bad habits and start some new good habits and do a few good deeds. That won't cut it. You can't atone for your sins. It required the blood of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus not only died for your sins, but that he rose again. He triumphed over death and over the devil and and over sin itself, and he's alive, and he now shares this life and this victory with all who repent of their sin and trust in him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is how God fulfilled his promise to bring salvation, to undo the effects of the curse, and to make all things new, to restore all things. It's through the work of Jesus, and it is only through faith in this message that you can be saved. That's the only way. This is a message that must be heard, that must be understood, that must be personally received and believed in. But Jesus says it is possible to hear that message, to hear that story about Jesus. It's possible to hear but fail to grasp it. It's possible to attend church like this and hear the message but actually missed the point. We saw some examples last week of how not to hear in the parable of the soils. There's some hearts that are hard, like a hard-packed path through a field. The seed never grows. It gets stepped on. It gets eaten by the birds. There are some hearts that, that seem to hear and receive the word, but as soon as life gets difficult, they quit. They turn away from Jesus in favor of trying something else. There are some hearts that appear to receive the word and hear it, but then they grow distracted by the cares and the concerns and the pleasures of this world. They get bored with Jesus and go after something else. So there's some wrong ways to hear, but what is the right way to hear? Jesus says, take care how you hear. Okay, so how should we hear? Well, I spent some time this week thinking about this question. How do we hear rightly? And there's a number of thoughts that come to mind, some from this text, some from other passages in Scripture, But I came across J.C. Ryle's comments on this passage. He's one of my favorite pastors and authors. He's been dead for a long time. He ministered in the 1800s. But J.C. Ryle pulls out three ways in which we must hear. And I think they're helpful categories for us to think about. So I'm going to borrow that outline and use it this morning. So Ryle says, first of all, we must hear with faith. How should we hear rightly? You must hear with faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says, Good news came to us 
just as to them, referring to unbelieving Israel, that generation that died off in the wilderness, the generation that was rescued from Egypt but didn't believe that God would really give them the promised land. He says, good news came to us just like them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hebrew says, the good news comes, but you must hear it with faith. There's a kind of listening to God's word, a kind of listening to Jesus that is a hearing with faith. And there's another kind of hearing, a kind of hearing that is marked by unbelief. Listen, it's not just hearing the truth that saves us. Salvation is found in receiving the truth, trusting the word of God, believing in him. That's how we are saved. Faith-filled hearing is how we must hear. And faith-filled hearing can be described in a number of ways. Faith is humble, isn't it? A humble listener adopts a posture of trust, humbly acknowledging that God is sovereign, God is good, God is wise, God is faithful. Faith is humble. Faith is also teachable. A teachable listener hears the word with an open mind, ready to receive and latch on to the truth. Faith is teachable. Faith is also obedient. The book of James tells us this. It says, do not be, it says do, that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Faith is obedient. An obedient listener is eager to do what God commands. Faith is also patient. It takes a lot of patience to hear rightly. The patient hearer believes that it's worth it to do the hard work of listening to the teaching of God's word, of meditating on the riches of scripture, chewing on it, wrestling with it, growing in wisdom over time. Faith is patient. Faith is also expectant. The expectant hearer believes that the word of God is perfect, reviving the soul. That's what Psalm 19 says. Do you come with an expectant heart, believing that God's word is what can revive your soul? Faith is expectant because it believes, like Isaiah 55 tells us, that God's word does not return void. So you can rightly come expecting to receive from God. This is how we must hear. We must hear with faith. We must hear with faith. But secondly, Ryle says, we must hear with reverence. Take care how you hear, Jesus says. And this hearing must be marked by reverence. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. This is a reverent hearing that recognizes what God's word actually is. Do you listen to God's word, whether you're reading it on your own or, or maybe at Bible study or small group or, or here at church? Do you hear God's word with the heavy and sober awareness of who is actually speaking? That this is God's inspired word. This is not just some textbook. This is not merely a historical record. 
This is far more than some collection of ethical commands and how to be a good person and live a good life. This is the very word of God. And God's word reveals to us God's character and God's will and God's truth, God's promises. It reveals to us the glory of God himself. God is revealing himself in his word. This ought to produce in us a deep and profound sense of reverence. Do you believe that this is God's word? That it comes from God and that it reveals God himself to us? Because if you do, that will affect how you hear. Do you come to church to evaluate a preacher? To give him a score, you know, three stars out of five, two stars out of five? Do you come to church just to hear some stories, some helpful tips on life? You know, maybe you can find something a little bit useful. Do you come to church just zoning out, just putting in your time? Because, you know, it's what we do on Sundays. We go to church, sing a couple songs, buy some, you know, semi-professional musicians who kind of know what they're doing. And then we listen to some guy talk for a while, you know, and then we go home. Do you come just to put in your time? Or do you come to hear from God? Take care, Jesus says, how you hear. When we consider the holiness of God and who it is who is speaking to us, it ought to cause us to tremble. Hebrews 12, 28 says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Reverence and awe. Hearing with reverence is the mark of a proper fear of God. God says in Isaiah 66, verse 2, he says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you want God's favor? Do you want God to look on you and be gracious to you and merciful to you and to give himself to you in a relational sense? God says, this is the one to whom I look. The one who's humble, contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There is a deep sense of reverence that ought to mark how we hear. Hearing with reverence is the mark of not only fearing God, but also treasuring Christ. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If you value Christ, if he is your greatest treasure, then his word will capture your attention. You will approach God's word with a sense of reverence because Christ is your treasure, the pearl of greatest price, worth more than anything else in all the world. Hearing with reverence shows the right fear of God, a, a right sort of treasuring Christ, and it also is a sign that you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. A flippant approach to God's word, a casual approach to the scriptures is a surefire way to quench the spirit. This is the word that the spirit inspired. This is the word that the spirit carried along these authors so that every word they wrote was God's word. This is the word that the spirit illuminates, the word that the spirit impresses upon our hearts. If we are flippant and casual with our approach to Scripture, 
we will quench the Holy Spirit. Those who hear rightly will have a deep sense of reverence because they fear God, because they treasure Christ, because they are sensitive to the ministry of the Spirit. This is hearing with reverence. Ryle says we must hear with faith, we must hear with reverence. And third, we must hear with prayer. We must hear with prayer. The Psalms are a wonderful example of this. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things of your law. That's a prayer. And it's not just a prayer that the psalmist wrote down. That's a prayer that's meant for us to pray. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's a prayer you and I ought to pray every time we open Scripture, every time we come together with others to discuss the things of God, every time we sit in a Sunday service preparing to hear some guy who can kind of preach, but you're really hearing God's word. Open my eyes. God, would you give us insight so that we can behold wondrous things from your law? Psalm 86, 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Those are prayers that ought to be literal prayers we pray and that also ought to flavor all of the other prayers that we pray. You don't have to necessarily use these exact words, but this is a model for us of how we ought to come to hear God's word with a prayerful heart that is eager for God to show us what it is he wants us to see. Does that describe your heart? Do these prayers feel familiar on your lips when you come to church, when you read your Bible, when you sit with your small group, when you go to your early morning Bible study? If not, why? Why don't we pray these prayers? Maybe the reason that you didn't get much out of your Bible reading, or the reason that that sermon didn't really do much for you, isn't because the teacher was just, eh. Maybe it's you. <laughs> Maybe it's because, like James 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe you didn't ask God to feed your soul. Maybe you didn't ask God to open your eyes and, and reveal wondrous things out of his law. Maybe you didn't ask God to show you where you need to be convicted of sin. Maybe you didn't ask God to strengthen your faith and increase your love for Christ and to help you see more of his glory than you've ever seen before. You do not have because you do not ask. Prayer reveals a heart that is needy, that is hungry, that is dependent, that is eager and friends, this is how we must hear, with prayer. After offering these three ways in which we must hear, Ryle concludes this. I'll just read his comment. He says, let us bear these rules in mind every Sunday morning before we go to hear the word of God preached. Let us not rush into God's presence in a careless, reckless, and unprepared manner, as if it did not matter in what way such work was done. Let us carry with us faith, reverence, and prayer. If these three are our companions, then we shall hear with profit and return with praise. That's what I want. I want to hear God's word in a way that brings profit, in a way that brings benefit, in a, in a way that actually lays hold of the riches of God's word. 
And I want it to produce in me faith and joy so that it spills out in praise. This is how we must hear. But the question is why? What's the consequence of hearing rightly or hearing wrongly? Well, Jesus tells us what's at stake in verse 18. He says, take care how you hear, and he explains why. He says, for, here's the reason, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Listen, whether or not you embrace what Jesus is saying, whether or not you hear rightly is a matter of extreme seriousness because there's an offer here, a promise here of both blessing and judgment. There's an offer of blessing and a warning of what happens to those who do not hear rightly. The blessing is that to the one who has, more will be given. The one who has here refers to those who have ears to hear. Those who, like Jesus says in John 10, are his sheep and they hear his voice and he knows them and they follow him. These are the ones who receive the truth that Jesus is revealing. Jesus says, if you hear what I'm saying and you're receiving the light that I'm giving, then more is to come. More is to come. As those who hear and receive, more will be given to them. More light, more truth, more knowledge. And with that comes, most of all, eternal life. More will be given. And all of this is a gift of grace. It is given. Just like verse 10 says, to you it is given to know the secrets. He says here in verse 18, to the one who has, more will be given. God promises to continue supplying an unending flow of grace to those who hear and receive and believe his word. But there's also a warning, a judgment. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, it will be taken away. The one who has not refers to those who do not have faith, those who refuse to repent of their sin. They're not hearing, they don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. This refers to those who do not have the light. They have not received the truth Jesus is preaching, and therefore they do not have eternal life. You see, only those who hear and understand and respond to the gospel in faith will enter the kingdom of God. The ones who reject Jesus and his message, here's what Jesus says, even what he thinks he has, it will be taken away. It's possible to think that you really got it to think wrongly that you've arrived, to think in an incorrect sense that spiritually you have what it takes. The Jewish religious leaders had this shell of religious truth. They had their rituals. They had their laws that they kept. And Israel as a nation had been given by God the task of representing God to the world. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, That was their job description in the Old Testament, but they failed. They failed. They did not reflect the light of God to the nations. And because of this failure, Israel lost her special status of God's representative in the world. Jesus had to come and do their job for them. He had to come and fulfill that task. In John 9, 5, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
And in the future, this role of being a light to the world would be given to the church, to the body of Christ. That's why Jesus uses this same metaphor of a lamp and of light in Matthew chapter 5. He says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You see, the unbelieving Jews, they actually had something. They had a great privilege as those who'd been given the promises, the covenant, scripture. They had been given light. But because they did not receive Jesus, even what they thought they had was taken away. A lot of people think they have God's favor. They may think that they have even a a certain sense of righteousness in themselves. They think they have life. And they might think that they have God's favor and think that they are righteous and think that they have life because they say the right things and they sit under the right kind of teaching. Many of you have heard the truth. But it's possible to think you have it and be tragically mistaken. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. It's important we understand the necessity of our own personal response to Jesus Christ and to the message of the gospel. So how about you? How about you? You have a Bible, I'm guessing. What's your attitude toward God's word? You're obviously here coming to church. What is your approach to hearing? I I fear that perhaps one of the most dangerous moments is actually Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, 1030, when many people gather to hear God's word. But if you do not hear rightly, This act of hearing can be very spiritually dangerous. If you become numb to the preaching of the gospel, if you become overly familiar with the stories and the doctrines, if you find yourself becoming bored, cynical, critical, skeptical, disinterested, if you fail to hear rightly, then friend, you are in spiritual danger. Take care how you hear. Listen, all of history is moving towards the full disclosure of the glory of Christ. Nothing of God's plan and purpose, nothing that is now hidden, is not going to be one day fully revealed. Are you ready for that? Are you receiving the light that is today being given? Or are you missing it? There's a warning here for us. At the same time, there's a great promise of blessing. I know many of you are here today because you do love God's word. You do delight in the glory of Christ. You fear God and you eagerly desire for his spirit to lead you even further into the truth. So you open yourself up to receive from God week in and week out. There are many of you here today who have faith, who are hearing rightly. You've even prayed leading up to Sunday, Lord, open our eyes, and show us wonderful things from your law. And here's the good news, friend. God promises to give you more. He promises to give you more light, more knowledge, 
more understanding, more wisdom, more insight. He will give you more glory. He will give you more of himself. Not just in your personal reading of scripture, though he will. Not just in your Bible studies, your small groups, even, not even just at church. He promises to give you more for all of eternity. As you will one day come to behold his face. And you will experience the joy of seeing him and enjoying his presence. And this life, this joy, this glory, this light is beyond description. And that will be yours. As each day becomes a deeper and deeper experience of knowing him. And seeing the radiance of the light of his glory. So if that describes you, friend, take heart. Keep listening. Keep hearing Keep believing and trust that God's best is on his way. There is more to come. So take care. Take care how you hear. Would you pray with me? God, it is such a privilege and a gift that you would reveal to us yourself, that you would reveal to us your truth in the scriptures and through your son. It is a great privilege that we can gather here, that we have access to your word, that that we can sit under teaching from your word, and that you choose to use sinful men, simple, simple methods. You work in and through these means to reveal yourself, to to point us to truth, and and to give us light. God, I ask that, that everyone who's here today would truly take to heart this admonition to take care how we hear. Lord, may we approach your word with faith, with reverence, prayerfully, eagerly desiring to receive all that you would show us. Lord, I pray for those who might be overly familiar today with the gospel, those who have heard it before that Jesus died for sin and rose again, those who have heard it before that they are sinners and in danger of your judgment, Lord, if they have become numb to that message, if they can hear the words but not actually hear the truth, I ask God that you would give them light and life. Open their ears today. Heal them of their spiritual blindness. Lord, bring them to faith. Cause them to repent. May they recognize in Jesus their only hope for salvation. Maybe they grew up going to church and they've been religious, but they've never received Christ. Pray that today they would come to Jesus with their need, desperately asking him to save them. And Lord, as we continue to grow in grace, pray that you would give us an ever-increasing hunger for your word, a deeper sense of reverence, stronger faith. Make us faithful as we seek you, We ask, God, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in your word and through your son for all eternity. Amen.